So today we're going to be, when this service is over, we're going to be out on the patio out there baptizing, uh, I think, uh, 15 or so men and women who um, are celebrating new life in Jesus and we're going to celebrate that with them. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for us all just to talk a little bit about water baptism. So I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 3 and we're going to read there beginning at verse 13. The the title of this message is the immersion because to be immersed in uh, means that you you are overwhelmed by or come under the influence of and uh, that's what's going to happen. We're going to be emerging, uh, emerging, immersing uh, people in, in water uh, out on the patio out there. And we're talking about why baptism matters. And let me say this. One of the other motivations uh, for my taking you here today is not just that we are going to be having a baptismal service, but because in general the, the evangelical Christian church in the United States seems to have kind of forgotten the importance of water baptism. And I say that as, as someone who's been, been a part of this uh, outfit called the church for my entire life and I'm so I'm, I'm, I'm part of the uh, of why that is I guess but I'm not happy about it um, we we're gonna see in a little bit that Jesus uh, commanded us to be baptized in water and there just seems to we seem to uh, in the United States anyway in particular we seem to have lost connection with the importance of water baptism so I'm not going to solve all that with one message today before you all, but that's part of what's motivating me. So Matthew 3:13. Then Jesus came from Galilee, and that's the region north of, of um, Judea. Judea in Israel, Judea is in the south, and there's some Samaria in the, in the middle, and uh, Galilee in the north. He came from Galilee to John. This is John the Baptist. Some of you have heard of him before. And uh, John was at the Jordan, and Jesus came to him to be baptized by him. John was John the Baptist was Jesus's uh, cousin, and he was putting people under the water as a sign or symbol of their. We have some gremlins this morning. Is that me? Was that outside? No. Anyway. Lord Jesus, take care of the technology. Let me back up because I forgot where I was. So. Um, so John the Baptist was ba- dunking people in the water as a symbol or a sign of their repentance. They were coming out to him at the Jordan River signifying uh, that they wanted to repent and turn towards God. So they back- he dunked them under the water. Jesus shows up to be baptized. And John says this. He says, he tried to prevent him and he said, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me? Who are we kidding here? You don't need to be baptized, Jesus. You don't need to repent of anything. This is nuts. And Jesus answered and said to him, verse 15 says, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. John, no, I, I need to do this. We need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is what God is doing right now. I want to be part of it. Let's fulfill all righteousness. I don't know if, if, uh, if some of you were aware that Jesus was baptized in water and the reason was not because he had to repent of anything but because he was demonstrating something very, very important for us. That's what he meant when he said, let's fulfill 
all righteousness. Verse 16. When he had baptized, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. Pay attention to these things. He comes up out of the water of uh, out, of, out of the waters of baptism, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Matthew is recording something that's hard to describe. He said, "I I saw something tangible, something visible." A, a representation of the Holy Spirit of God descending upon Jesus. And he said it looked like, kind of like a dove uh, descending and, and uh, landing on him. He's not saying that a bird flew and landed on Jesus' shoulder. He's just saying something visible, tangible was happening, very powerful and profound. And this is the best way I know how to describe it. Then in verse 17, it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So as we begin to talk about why baptism matters, the first thing I want to suggest to you is it matters because Jesus modeled it. That ought to be enough. John, we need to fulfill all righteousness. Now, water baptism didn't begin with Christians. Actually, the Jews practiced water baptism. This was already part of their culture. They understood it. They knew what it meant. That it was a, po a point of transition. When a person, a Gentile, became a proselyte to uh, Judaism, they, they would be baptized along with the males being circumcised. Ouch, but they would be baptized. That was part of it. So they understood when you had some dramatic life change, spiritual life change, the way you marked that was to go to the waters of baptism, be immersed and come out because it's saying what used to be under the water is left there. What used to be is no more. Well, they rise out of the water and they're saying, I'm going a new way. I'm heading from disobedience to obedience to God. You get the picture? That was in their culture. They understood that. So when Jesus went to the waters of baptism that day, everybody knew that this was what was being stated, but he filled it with fresh and deeper and more important meaning, kind of like he did with Passover. On the night of his betrayal when he was with the disciples and they were taking the Passover meal, which was, is very uh, prescribed. Every uh, element of food that's taken, the, the various times when they drink from the cup, those, those things are all uh, ordered according to a program. They finish the program and then Jesus says now. This bread that I'm passing to you now. This is my body broken for you. Now this cup. This is a symbol of the new covenant. The new agreement that I'm establishing today. Between you and God. Between men and God. So he was breathing into uh, a cultural uh, experience of baptism some deep deep meaning and we're going to get more to that in a minute but baptism matters because Jesus modeled it turn now in the same book that you're in Matthew to the end of that book in Matthew chapter 28 because baptism also matters because Jesus commanded it Matthew 28 and we're going to re begin reading in verse 18 Jesus has already resurrected from the dead. He's shown himself alive to his disciples. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And he leaves his disciples, his, the, the men who will become the apostles, he leaves them with these instructions. Verse 18. 
he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about that for a minute. Jesus says to them, All authority, because I have gone to the cross, because I have triumphed over death, all authority has been given to me on hev in heaven and on earth. And then the very next verse says, Go, followed by the word therefore. Whenever you read the word therefore in the scriptures, always ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? The therefore is therefore this reason. It's to set up what he says. Because all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, go. Go. It's a command, dear ones. It's not a suggestion. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go. And he tells them what to do when they go. He says, um, make disciples. In other words, reproduce yourself. Make Christ followers. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's part of the command. Go. Make disciples. Go. Baptize. Then he says, teach them. To observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, the church in the United States, the evangelical Christian church in the United States, is doing a pretty good job, a fair job, let's put it that way, of, of making disciples in terms of reproducing uh, ourselves by the declaration of the gospel. People coming to faith in Christ. That was what those testimonies were all about we saw in that video. And we're doing a... Pretty darn good job of teaching. Lots of teaching available. Somehow we're not doing so well with the second of those three things. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think it has to do with the fact that it's, some people are just not sure what, what it's about. Why go in there and get myself dunked, my hair all wet and all that kind of stuff? Why? We're going to talk about why today. We've already mentioned that we do that because... Jesus modeled it. Now we're talking about the one who has all authority saying, do it. Do it. Come back to that in a minute. The third reason that, or the third thing about why baptism matters, Jesus modeled it, Jesus commanded it. Third thing I want you to see today is that the early church practiced it. The book, there's four books that begin the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus. And then there's the book of Acts. And the book of Acts tells us about how the church was born and how it spread through the known world. And in the book of Acts, we see over and over and over again the disciples whom Jesus commissioned to go and to make disciples, baptize, and to teach. We see them doing what he told them to do. So I'm not going to ask you to turn to all these passages. I'm going to give you the references in case you're taking notes. But in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 on the day of Pentecost, the, the, when the church was born and 3,000 people were saved, they were baptized in water, we're told. In, in, uh, in chapter 8 verse 12, when the gospel penetrates into the region of Samaria, the people respond to the gospel and they're baptized. There was a, an Ethiopian, a, an African man who had come to Jerusalem. I'll talk to you more about that in a minute. He, when he came to faith in Christ, the Bible says in Acts, uh, 
chapter 8, beginning of verse 26, he was baptized in water. Saul, who became Paul, probably the best known of the, of the apostles, uh, when he was converted, converted on the road to Damascus, when he arrived in, in, uh, uh, in Damascus, he was baptized in water. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a guy who wasn't a Jew, had no natural connection to the things of God, uh, but came to believe in Jehovah and then when he heard about Jesus was converted to, to faith in Christ and he and his whole household were baptized in water. When Paul took the gospel for the first time into Europe, I'm of European descent. The fact that I'm standing here today is the result of his first convert in Europe. Her name was Lydia. When Lydia became a follower of Christ, she and her whole household were baptized in water. We're told that in Acts chapter 16. Also in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi, the same place where Lydia lived and was converted. Paul and Silas were thrown into jail, but the the Lord delivered them in the middle of the night. Their chains fell off. The doors were open and the jailer was so profoundly moved by the power of God and what he saw of the testimony of Jesus in these two men that he gave his life to Christ and his whole household and they were all baptized that night. When the, when the gospel reached the city of Corinth in Acts chapter 18, it says they were baptized in water. When the gospel reached the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, they were baptized in water. You see over and over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts, people when they encountered the gospel and gave their lives to Jesus, they followed it up by going to the waters of baptism. So... Baptism matters because Jesus modeled it, because he commanded it. The early church practiced it. And I'm going to talk to you about the deep significance of baptism in a minute, but I want to take you closer in to one of the stories I just briefly uh, described as we were talking about the early church practicing, and that's found in Acts chapter uh, 8. So would you turn there, the book of Acts chapter 8. If you're trying to figure out where Acts, Acts, A-C-T-S is, not A-X-E or something like that, um, you can look for it in the table of contents. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So I just ran through a, a whole bunch of um, references where people were baptized in water after coming to Christ. I want to just focus in on one guy, one of all of those people. Now an angel of the Lord, verse 26 says, spoke to Philip. Philip was a, a follower of Christ, not one of the apostles, but a leader and a servant, actually. He was a, he was a deacon in the church in Jerusalem. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he's just responding what the Lord is telling him to do. And uh, the Lord sends him out to this uh, desert road and he doesn't tell them why. He just goes. He just goes out there. And it says, verse 27, he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Candace was not her name. Candace was the title of the line of queens that ruled Ethiopia. It would be like Caesar or Pharaoh is the title as well as the name you adopted when you were when you filled that role. This guy, he was uh, uh, from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. That's, you know, I, 
I got to be frank about it because a lot of people don't understand what that means. Uh, a eunuch was an emasculated man, uh, uh, a, a man who has been castrated so that he can serve in the royal household without being a sexual threat or, or you know, have any sort of sexual tension when he's dealing with the harem or in this case the queen. He can be in charge of her stuff and there's no... Anyway, that's the theory behind it. Eunuchs paid a serious price to be able to serve their royalty and kings and queens in those days were considered to be godlike. So in a sense, they, a eunuch bore in his body the scars of their idolatry, his idolatry. The deep wounds of the price paid to serve a false god. There are some people in this room you're sitting among who know what that is. To pay a high price to serve a false god. That god, god may be uh, a relationship, that god might, might have been materialism, that god might have been themselves. It could be uh, all sorts of things, but we pay a serious price when we do. Now, the the reason that people would submit themselves to that was because it gave them high rank and high privilege and usually a pretty high salary as well. And so that was the trade-off. Again, I think you can understand uh, how many of us find ourselves in that same place where we trade away things that are valuable and important for what we think are temporary gains or privileges or, or uh, blessings. That's where this guy was. And for some reason that we don't have any way of knowing, uh, this, this particular Ethiopian eunuch is hungry for the true God. He travels all the way from North Africa to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And he comes away with uh, at least one scroll of Scripture. It says here that uh, he, he served under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasury and who had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, verse 28 says, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. To have, you and I, we take it for granted having the word of God. I mean, all you got to do is open your phone, click a button, and there you are, you know. But to possess any kind, any form of the scriptures was an extremely costly, valuable thing. So the, the fact that this guy is riding down the road in his chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah, is, is hard to fathom. He owns a copy of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. There's no telling how much money he paid for that. And he's reading it, it says, and in verse 29, uh, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran up to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? I, I know from personal experience, but I've observed, observed this time and time again, people begin to have a hunger for God and they begin to kind of sidle up to people and places where they think God might be found. In fact, you may be here this morning as a result of that process where you kind of find yourself inching towards wanting to get closer to where God might be found because you need Him and you know it. 
You might even crack open the Bible and say, okay, well, I'll, let me see what's, what's going on in here. And, and start reading and think, whoa, maybe I'll try it this way and see, you know, and, and, and find it just a little bit overwhelming. And that's what's happening here with, uh, with uh, the eunuch. And Philip runs up to the chariot and says, hey, you understand what you're reading there? And he says, heck no. I need somebody to help me. Thank God for Philip. And so he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And then it says in verse 32, the place in the scripture where the eunuch was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And he who declare, and who, excuse me, and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And this is out of a, a passage in Isaiah that describes Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God who would come and pay the penalty for our sin. And he's puzzling over it, and Philip steps up. What an opportunity. And it says that the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, who is this guy talking about? Is he talking about himself or, some, uh, or someone else? And then verse 35, it says, Philip opened his mouth and began at that scripture and preached Jesus to him. I love this. I can only imagine how that eunuch's heart began to beat in his chest as he heard the word of God and the hunger that he had for God that sent him all the way from North Africa to Jerusalem in search of this one who would answer that deep need is suddenly illuminated before him in the pages of scripture. You know, one of the reasons why this is an aside before we go on and finish the, that passage, one of the reasons I think that the Ethiopian eunuch this moves me very deeply. Um, I think one of the reasons why he spent a life's fortune to have the scroll of Isaiah is because in Isaiah 56 it says this. The Lord has, a, excuse me, don't let the eunuch say, don't let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. In other words, God is speaking. He says, don't let the eunuch come to the place where he says, I have paid such a horrible price to pursue a false god and now I have no future. I have no progeny, to no way to leave anything behind my life. Here I am, a dry tree. I have nothing to show for it. Don't let them think that. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I have a feeling that's why the book of Isaiah was the one that the Ethiopian eunuch spent a fortune to buy. And now... He's reading it along with Philip in that chariot. And he's encountering the Christ. And he says in verse 36 of Acts chapter 8, as they came down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe 
that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Just one of the many stories that could be told from that passage, all of those passages I rattled off from the book of Acts a while ago about the encounter of a person with the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms their lives and they demonstrate it through baptism. So what? So the reason that baptism matters is because Jesus modeled it, he commanded it, the early church practiced it, and because it has deep significance in at least three ways. Number one, it establishes a lifestyle of obedience. If all that water baptism was is that Jesus said to do it, so I'm doing it, that would be enough. Because when I begin to live my life in obedience to the word of God, things change. And things change drastically. And things change in my favor. And the blessing of God that he intends for my life, my life is released to me. And so if that's all it was, is that Jesus said, do it, and I do it, that would be sufficient. It's more than that, but it's first and foremost that he said to do it, so I'm going to do it. If you just start living your life that way, whatever he says, I'll do it. You're going to be far better off, let me just tell you. The second thing that, that uh, the second deep significance that water baptism is, is that it's a declaration of testimony. I can't see inside of your heart. I can't look into the, the secret places of your life and see the transforming effect of the Holy Spirit upon your spirit. But when you stand before your friends and family and say, watch this. And you go underwater and leave behind the old person that you were and come out of the water a new person. I can see that. It's a testimony. I have on my ring finger of my left hand a gold band and it's been there for over 40 years now. I can count the times I've had it off that finger on the 10 fingers of my hands. And you know, over those 40 years. And, it, and when it was off, it would be for a matter of minutes. So um, it's been here a long time. It's not my marriage. I am married to Sue because of something that happened in my heart. Something that was deep inside of me when I stood before my friends and family and the minister of God and said, I pledge my life to that woman. Something was happening in here but you can't see that. There's no way for you to get in there and get a glimpse of what went on in my heart when I pledged my life to her. But you can see this. And this demonstrates it. This shows that this is a testimony. That's kind of what water baptism is. And then the third significance, deep significance of water baptism is that it's a, a way for all of us to celebrate and rejoice a person's new birth. We go to all kinds of trouble to celebrate people's um, Physical birth, right? We celebrate birthdays, and we should. In fact, right here, I'm celebrating a gift that was given to me for my birthday this year. I thank God for that. I wasn't expecting it. Please don't do it again. But I was very happy to receive this. We celebrate birthdays. We don't have a good way to celebrate our new births except for baptism. So we're going to be out there celebrating the new births of many people this afternoon. Finally, let me wrap this up by talking about um, 
the fact that water baptism releases blessing. You'll remember I asked you to take note of a few things from Matthew 3 when we read verses 13 through 17. The Bible study has now stopped. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you about what I believe and I'll tell you why I believe it, but it'll be up to you whether you'll agree to believe it or not. All right? I don't have scripture and verse for this. What I have is Jesus' experience. When he came up out of the waters of baptism, three things happened. Now, you could say, well, those three things were just for Jesus and Jesus alone, except I think you might want to reconsider. Because the Bible says that what Jesus did, all that he did, he did for our benefit, to model it for us. He said, he was very careful, he said, I don't do anything except I see the Father doing it. I don't say anything except I hear the Father say it. I think that when Jesus rose from the waters of baptism or came out of the waters of baptism and these three things unfolded, I think he was, I think there was on display something that Jesus meant, that God the Father meant for all of us to know and experience and, and, and uh, look forward to when we are baptized in water. Whether you agree with that or not is another thing, but let me tell you what, what those three things were. The heavens were opened. Now, I don't know, you know, I assume what that meant is that was a cloudy day or a foggy day and the, and the clouds parted and the sun shone through. I love it when that happens. I'm kind of a sunshine guy. When it's cloudy or foggy, I'm not real happy. So when the clouds part and the sun shines through, I'm, that's cool. And I bet that's, that's uh, you know, there were people there who, who enjoyed that experience. But there was something more, I think, going on. I think that God the Father was demonstrating that He intends for us when we experience water baptism for there to be a parting of the heavens that what may have seemed like a closed, uh, that you were closed off from, from the things of God would no longer be so, that there would be an opening to you of the things of God. Not that everything will be crystal clear, but that, that there would be a, uh, the, the opening, the the initiating of a new season of awareness and, and clarity coming to you that the Bible, the Word of God would not be so, so close to you that, that the step of obedience that you took to, the water, to, to enter the waters of baptism unleashed something of, of heaven for you. Then it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And I think that it's clear as a bell from the scripture God intends for his people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he said, don't, he told his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until you are empowered with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know what it means to be, to have the resident power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think that the Lord intended to demonstrate for us that day that water baptism ought to be a point when when something gets released of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Third, it says that the Father's voice was heard. Everybody standing around there that day heard God speak. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I have yet to meet the person who doesn't think of themselves as someone God at best tolerates. But that's not the truth. God says, God so loved the world. He so loved you 
that he sent his only son I don't think Jesus needed to be reminded of the Father's love, but you and I certainly do. And on that day, I think God was signaling the fact that people who come to the waters of baptism could expect and should expect and can experience that hearing of the voice of the God in the de deepest parts of their soul, that affirmation that they are loved, beloved by God. You are a beloved one of the most beloved. This is recording number 11110 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 22, 2014. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Immersion. Why Baptism Matters, 